0: Today on Ag News Daily.
1: Sometimes transitioning into a new crop can give you an opportunity to see things with new eyes. And uh, when you do that, uh, there is a steep learning curve when you're learning a new crop, that's for sure. But one of the things that's helped me is just being really, really straightforward.
0: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Fry Yay here on the Ag News Daily podcast. Delaney Howell joined by Ashton Carr.
2: Ashton, it is a Fry Yay indeed. It certainly is. I'm ready for the weekend. I've only been in Lubbock for one weekend this summer. So this is my second time that I'm actually going to be in Lubbock. And I'm really excited. And I actually don't even have any plans to be excited for just going to lounge around and actually be home for once. Well, that'll be nice. I don't have any plans either other than
0: maybe going to work out tomorrow. And I'm also going to take the time to enjoy that.
2: You actually enjoy working out? I do. <laughs> I try to enjoy it, but honestly, I've, I've really got to push myself to even go to the gym.
0: Actually, I've got to announce this. Just This is super silly. And I know people probably are going to think that this is just nonsense, but I have a problem. I have an addiction to sugar, like a very hardcore addiction to sugar to the point where most days I have to have something sweet after at least one, if not two meals a day. So I am three weeks without any refined sugar. So like cookies, candy, ice cream, etc. I've gone three weeks now without having anything. And I've also been working out. So I feel like I am uh, turning over a new leaf. So that's my big announcement today.
2: Delaney, I wish I had as much strength as you do. Because I've got a sweet tooth myself and I just can't help it. And I've really been trying hard this week to really stick to a good diet and work out every day because I've been eating pretty unhealthy during my past couple of trips away from home and my apartment complex was giving out free popsicles so obviously I had to get one so (laughs) they just really threw me off track
0: well it's hard but uh I was sick one day. I think you did the podcast without me. I was sick one day and I have not really had the desire to have any sugar since then. So I'm just going to use that to keep propelling myself further because now it's like, okay, I've gone three weeks. How much longer can I go? It's it's getting hard. But uh yeah, I'm really proud of myself. So just a quick side note, the sugar markets might be reacting to my lack of sugar.
2: Well, Delaney, I'm very proud of you as well, but go ahead and just kicking things off with news. Cause we're talking so much about sugar. I might have to have a snack here in a second. So let's go ahead and switch tracks here. <laughs> I wanted to follow up with our conversation about leaf cupping that we had earlier this week, because I did a little bit more looking and it looks like some soybean farmers are kind of scratching their heads right now because some of this Cupping is looking pretty uniform according to Seth Knave with the University of Minnesota. He's an extension soybean agronomist and he says that this widespread cupping is looking pretty uniform. He says that in some fields, it doesn't even look like it could be any kind of volatization type issue. He says it's it's end row to end row, side to side in these fields. Like I said, very uniform. And he says, based on the timing of spraying 2,4-D or Liberty herbicides, it left some farmers to wonder if the cupping was caused by something other than dicamba. He's been hearing of reports of cups beans that look a lot like dicamba injury in fields of non-dicamba resistant varieties like Enlist. He says there's a lot going on here and certainly this cupping looks a lot like dicamba injury, but we know that there are some other environmental factors that contribute to cupping. Nave says that hot, dry conditions followed by this rainy weather that some of the U.S. has been experiencing and rapid growth could lead to some of the symptoms that farmers are seeing. He also points out that 2,4-D and dicamba have a somewhat similar physiological look on treated soybean leaves. But I don't know if this is going to have any kind of dramatic effect come harvest season on these beans. I don't know if we can provide a little bit more insight there, Delaney, or if we're just going to have to wait come harvest season. Uh,
0: yeah, I'm not, like I said the other day, I'm not as familiar with cupping from a soybean perspective. And I think I spoke, misspoke the other day when we were, you were talking about soybean cupping and I talked about corn cupping, but, um, I would assume it may have an impact on yield. Like I said, I I don't know enough about it either, other than like the causes of it to know what happens come harvest,
2: Well, Delaney, then it looks like we're just going to have to wait and see, but I'm really hoping that it doesn't impact yield too much because I don't know that harvest is going to be looking too great. I know there were some folks on Twitter that responded to your pushing out of our tweet on the Ag News Daily socials talking about what yield is looking like. But some folks, and this was, I think, to corn specifically, so not even soybeans, but Kind of go a little hand in hand, I would assume maybe, but you know, some folks were saying that it's worse. And then there's a producer saying that their crop is looking better than normal. So going to be a little bit of a toss up here, I think.
0: Yeah, it's pretty varied. And actually, this is very timely too. Um, we're having Matt Bennett from agmarket.net to chat markets on Monday. And I just saw a tweet of his that I retweeted as well, asking about rainfall for the year. You know, he asks the last three weeks in his part of Illinois, he said that they've gotten about 12 inches on their farm and asked how other folks are doing. And it looks like we're pretty mixed as far as we've got way too dry, just right. Okay. But need a little more and looking for gopher wood so sounds like honestly there are going to be pockets that have the perfect amount of rainfall those that have too much and those that have too little so it's going to be interesting to see come harvest what we actually are pulling out of the field but as we turn to talking about weather ashton Dryness is continuing to push forward in key growing areas, especially for wheat country, but heavy rainfalls across the northern areas of the Midwest on Wednesday did miss some pretty key growing areas in western Minnesota, which intensified drought this week. But it sounds like rain, of course, we had it here in central and northern Iowa, southern Minnesota and Wisconsin helped ease some drought air. Drought concerns in those areas, but it sounds like the system will be moving slowly south here during the next couple of days and will bring some pretty heavy rainfall to the south. Not so much so, though, for here uh, folks up in the northern Corn Belt and such going to be seeing some drier patterns across the southern plains as well as the northern plains. So we've got some mixed weather forecasts coming about the next six to 10 days. We're really going to be make or break it here for weather. We'll see how things shake out. But when you're talking weather, I want to want to touch on one other quick thing here. And that's South American weather, dry weather continues to stress corn fields in brazil uh, which still has a large portion of their crop left in the field but also their winter wheat has actually fared a little better than originally thought but could still use some more rainfall so there's a little bit of a chance actually this weekend for some frost and that could also have some pretty detrimental effects on corn to the south in brazil so that story down there in in Brazil is not over, it sounds like, as of yet.
2: You know, Delaney, I was pretty surprised to wake up in the middle of the night. It was around two o'clock in the morning, and we were having a little thunderstorm in Lubbock. I was really surprised because there wasn't any rain forecast in, in the weather, or at least on my you know weather app and how reliable is that, but uh, it was a little cloudy yesterday and I wasn't anticipating rain, but woke up to a little thunderstorm. So that was nice to get a little bit of rain there, but moving on, not talking about weather, I want to talk about African swine fever, particularly the first cases of ASF have been confirmed in farm pigs in Germany. It was confirmed on two small farms in eastern Brandenburg, an area where over 1,200 cases have been found in wild boar. This is not expected to have a major market impact as German pork exports are already banned by many countries outside of the European Union. China and many other international buyers banned imports of German pork back in September of 2020 after the first African swine fever cases were confirmed in wild animals, leaving Germany to focus on sales within the European Union. Now, what it's going to mean in the European Union, I, I, I anticipate and, you know, I don't have a whole lot of market knowledge or experience, but... Particularly in the European Union, I bet it's going to have some kind of market impact since it's now reached those farms, but kind of devastating, I think, to many German pig producers, and I I think it was only a matter of time since there were so many cases found in those wild boar But where they're going to go from here, I'm not sure. The article that I was reading doesn't really have much on how Germany is going to tackle this issue. And I suspect that they don't know either, since this was just confirmed earlier today.
0: Yeah, I saw that story as well, Ashton. So I'm glad that you brought it up. Um, And that was honestly one of my final news stories I had for today. Other than I was kind of also watching this, I Saw this come out from the Creighton University Rural Mainstream Index and and for the eighth straight month, the Creighton University Rural Mainstream Main Street Index remained above growth neutral. And we're continuing what that means really is just to see strong economic gains in rural America, which is, of course, very positive. We also saw farmland prices continue to show strength as the farmland price index stayed significantly above growth neutral for the 10th straight month. But on average, bankers surveyed say they see some softness on the horizon for farmland prices because we have been on quite the tear here as far as farmland values go. Uh, On average, they said that CEOs, bank CEOs surveyed, I should say, said that they estimate farmland price growth for the previous 12 months at about 5.8%, but they're projecting that growth here for the next 12 months is only going to grow at about 2.4%. So we should see that soften just a little bit here moving forward. Might be a good opportunity to hop in and buy some farm ground. That's something you're looking to do, but uh, that's pretty much it in a nutshell, Ashton.
2: Well, Delaney, I just have one more thing to talk about today, and it's concerning a meeting that was held at the White House today as they were set to meet with representatives from the housing industry to discuss a supply shortage that has led to a sharp increase in home prices. Of course, that shortage being wood, we've talked a bunch about the timber industry, what's been going on when it comes to lumber and all that kind of stuff. And we haven't really touched on it here lately, but this meeting is kind of bringing it back up as it was set to include builders, real estate firms, lumber companies, labor unions, and loggers. Sales of new U.S. single-family homes fell to a one-year low in May as the median price of newly built homes soared amid expensive raw materials, including framing lumber. I won't go into the details on who this all included, just kind of representatives from, you know, that sector of the industry. But Biden, I will remind you, President Biden, he assembled that uh, supply chain task force. I believe it was just earlier this summer. And it looks like he's sticking to his word on trying to really tackle supply chain issues. And really this shortage in particular, I don't have any details on what they discussed. As they, I don't even know if they have already met or, or not. They were supposed to meet today. So hopefully on Monday, we can get a little bit more into those details and possibly even touch on, on the lumber market with whoever we're talking to on Monday for Market Monday, Delaney.
0: Absolutely, we'll have to write that one down and
2: make sure we can chat with Matt about that one. But
0: Ashton, I tell you what, since we're talking markets, let's go ahead and dive in here and see where markets
2: left us for today. Let's go ahead and get into those market numbers starting out in corn here. The September down at nine and three quarter cents to close at 55, and a half. The December down six and a half cents to, To close at 549 and three quarters. The soybeans green across the screen in the August contract up two cents to close at 1449 and a half. The September up six cents to close at 14 and a quarter. The November up nine cents to close at 1389. In wheat, the September contract up 21 and three quarter cents to close at 693 and three quarters. The December up 23 and a quarter to close at 702 in livestock red across the screen when we're looking at cattle starting out here in live cattle the august contract down 95 cents to close at 120.17 and a half the october down 92.5 cents to close at 125.60 the december down 47.5 cents to close at 131.32 and a half and feeder cattle red here too. As we're looking at the August contract down $1.75 to close at $155.62.5. The September down 72 and a half to close at 158 50. The October down 72.5 cents to close at 160.47 and a half. In lean hogs. Green here is where you're looking into the August contract up a dollar thirty five to close at one oh five sixty five, the October up one thirty-five to close at ninety seventy-five, and the December up a dollar seven and a half to close at eighty-three eighty seven and a half. Rounding out our markets with the class three dairy milk futures, the July down 9 cents to close at 1666, the August down 22 cents to close at 1676, and the September unchanged to close at 1731. And with that, I'm going to go ahead and kick it over to our 30 under 30 that we teased up a little bit earlier in the week with PD Ewing.
3: Well, folks, for today's 30 Under 30, we are chatting with Petey Ewing, who has a very interesting background. Petey, we got to start off here with your name, because folks that read the podcast description today will see it spelled P-E-E-D-E-E. This has nothing to do with agriculture, but I think it's a cool story to kick things off with. (laughs) Tell us how you got your name.
1: Okay, so I'm PD Ewing. Uh, I'm in Nampa, Idaho. Um, my dad actually, he couldn't decide whether to name me after his grandfather, D. Um, DeForest is his full name, but they just called him D, D-E-E for short. And he couldn't decide between that or his best friend, Peter. Um, so he took Peter, P-E, and took D for short for DeForest and mixed them together to make P-E-D. So that's how I got my name.
3: Well, now I feel like we just have uh, have your background already almost, but not quite. There you go. <laughs> uh, tell us a little bit more. You're from Idaho. You didn't necessarily grow up in an ag background, but you found ag a little bit later on in high school it sounds like. Tell us about your background and your journey diving into the world of agriculture
1: that's exactly it um, I, I started out kind of learning about agriculture in uh, the FFA I had a lot of really good FFA teachers in the Meridian chapter and from that I got a lot of exposure to the University of Idaho so once I was finishing up high school I had a pretty clear path to go up there and uh, that's where I did my undergrad and masters and while I was there I, I worked in the canola wheat and mustard breeding program uh, with dr. Jack Brown and that was uh, a, a great experience experience for me. Um, I was able to learn all, all kinds of things about agriculture and about plant breeding and genetics and seed and uh, just how big of an industry it is and how how important it is really for our whole world to have good quality seed. And uh, after that, I, uh, I started my first job at uh, Integral Malt, which is uh, Anheuser-Busch now And I worked with Malt Barley over in Southeastern Idaho. And that was a really, really great role I loved it. Um, But another opportunity came up that I could not pass down, and I was working with uh, uh, carrot genetics, actually, carrot seed over at uh, Seminus Bear in Payette, Idaho. And uh, I worked there for a number of years, and it was a really great role. Uh, Carrots are a really interesting crop, especially from the genetic standpoint. There's some intricacies that go along with those. And um, uh, I had another opportunity come up, uh, which is in my current role uh, at H.M. Klaus and i am the large seed production research manager so i work with sweet corn predominantly a little bit with beans but this year it's predominantly sweet corn and uh it's a really interesting role so one of the things that i do here is i screen and help uh, look at some of the different um early material that comes through the breeding program so um it's it's kind of an interesting role. Um, in a lot of companies, it seems like the breeding program and the production team, they're always really trying to get on the same page, but they have different, uh, different kind of parameters, different things that they're looking at. And my role helps make that a lot more seamless. So I spend a lot of time with the breeding and research part of our company and a lot of time with the production part to try and make sure that the material that we're that we're going from the engine if you will of the pedigrees and the uh the the breeding side that's coming up with new material developing new things trying to hit different target markets and the production team which is scaling that seed production up um, trying to grow that over a number of acres trying to make sure that we have really good quality seed for our our customers um, trying to make that happen as, as seamless as possible and there's a lot of little things that go into that so Um, Screening that early material is a big part of what I do. I look at the the nick timing, uh, when the male and female parts of the corn plant come out, when it tassels, when the silk comes out, Um, a lot of different characteristics of the plants themselves. Um, I look at a lot of the different uh, seed performance characteristics. Uh, We harvest a lot of different test plots um, in a lot of different circumstances and different areas too. We've got some plots here in Nampa, Idaho, and we've also got some plots in Moses Lake this year. Um, We're probably going to have some more in the future too. Um, We also work with uh, the International Sweet Corn Development Association. We have a trial that is part of a large Larger series of trials. Uh, and this one, we're looking at some different seed treatments. And um, we've also kind of got an ongoing trialing for new chemistry and, and different interactions with sweet corn. Um, sweet corn is, uh, is an interesting crop. Um, it is different than, uh, than regular field corn in that it is a mutation typically that we are, are uh, selecting and incorporating to make it more sweet. So the, the different mechanisms that make that seed accumulate starches uh, in a field corn, uh, it just accumulates sugar or it holds onto those sugar longer depending on di- the different mutations that they use. So um, it's really interesting from a genetic standpoint how we've been able to uh, use different tools to find things that are interesting or, or unique and then kind of use them for feeding people. So that's kind of it in a nutshell.
2: That's a lot to take in, Petey, but it's very interesting nonetheless. And I want to know a little bit more as to why you decided to go into seed breeding. I think that there's so much in the world of agriculture that you can research. So why this little niche?
1: So seed seed is really a critical part of this whole picture. And I, I think that sometimes you know, seed sometimes can take a backseat in people's minds. But really, if you if you start with uh, sub-quality seed, it, it's kind of like a limiting factor throughout the whole process. Like, we've got a lot of different tools, uh, spectral analysis from satellites, all different kinds of um, yield monitoring uh, tools. A lot of different agronomy comes into it, too. That's another really great area. But, you know, when you're starting with something that's maybe not all the way, quality. Um, you're you're going to be limited by that, and I think that sometimes that seed quality is something that that can get overlooked. Seed to me, I think is uh, I, I think it's it's like a bigger picture thing. Um, really, it's not just the the seed itself, but it's the the follow through of what that seed is going to grow, that crop that's come in those opportunities. So, working in the seed lab uh, with canola, uh, different mustards, and a uh, uh, little bit with wheat. That That's kind of what started me with that. Actually, I remember doing a seed ID thing in uh, FFA. It was one of the challenges too. And I was like, wow, this is really neat. Look at all these different kinds of things. They all, and uh, I don't know. I just kind of kept, kept with it after that. It was always kind of something that was interesting. And it's uh, developed into a career that I'm super passionate about. So it's really awesome.
3: Yeah. And it's really neat to hear about all the different seed types that you've worked on. You said mustard, canola, wheat, sweet corn. What's been your favorite? And how do you, this is maybe a silly question, but to me, it seems neat. How do you pivot to work with all those different seed types? Because I would expect the genetics to be different. Yep.
1: Yeah. So in my roles, I haven't been an actual breeder, but I've been in a lot of different support capacities for the breeding uh, or working in an agronomic capacity. and learning a new crop is something that is difficult but it's also something that uh i think it keeps you engaged and it gives you more opportunities to see things because if you've been working in one capacity for a really long time you have you've built up a lot of expertise you know quite a bit about it you've seen a lot of things you've seen a lot of environmental things good years bad years chemicals different weird things but Sometimes transitioning into a new crop can give you an opportunity to see things with new eyes. And uh, when you do that, uh, there is a steep learning curve when you're learning a new crop, that's for sure. But um, one of the things that's helped me is just being uh, really, really straightforward and saying, hey, I don't know what this is. (laughs) You know, when I started with malt barley um there were there were some guys that had been growing malt barley longer than i'd been alive Um, i wasn't in a position where i was going to tell them anything but by listening and starting the dialogue and and trying to see where there was opportunities that i could bring them value that that gave me a real like buy-in and i was able to to talk to them and say okay well i know you've been doing this this way but here's some other stuff out there. Obviously you've done it. What if we try a little bit over here just to see, you know, small section of a field, just a strip. Okay. Hey, that made a little bit of a difference. Wow. All right, let's try some new things. So just being straightforward with people and learning as much as you can um, in a new crop, I think is really important, and uh, you know, there's. I, I still just think that agriculture as a career field, there's so many people who um, are distant from it or don't really know about it. But there's a lot of opportunities um, in all different kinds of aspects and uh, different crops and different places, and it's really nice to be a part of this bigger picture that is feeding people.
2: PD, I have a little bit of a, a fun question for you here. Is there any kind of crop or you know specialty crop that you might want to learn a little bit more about someday, or already have some fun knowledge on? Hmm.
1: Um. I would like. I would like to. Uh, I would like to learn a little bit more about hemp. That that seems like a an opportunity for a lot of people. Um, where that market actually goes and how that crop actually performs over time that will be interesting um i know a little bit about it it's a dioecious plant with uh male and female parts so uh from a genetic standpoint trying to get a very uniform and consistent uh seed product i think is something that they've struggled with for a while um that's one thing that's kind of interesting the sweet corn too I, there's just so many different things to it that uh, I think I could spend a lot of time learning about sweet corn and uh, um, that would that would be a really, you know, sweet corn itself is going to take me a while to make sure I really know what I'm talking about and really can bring a lot of value to what we're seeing. Um, it's been a year that I've been in this role and uh, I've learned so much already and I'm learning more and more, but uh, I, I think I'm going to focus here for a while.
3: Well, I don't know. We we are getting some great sweet corn right now. I don't know if you've had any hand in any of those, but it is sweet corn season. So this is pretty timely. We're talking about this, but PD, I have one kind of final wrap up question for you. When you look oh. at the 30 under 30 cohort, um, there's a lot of fantastic folks that are part, part of the the class or the cohort, if you will. Um, when you reflect back, what do you think it was that pushed you or drove you to do what you do today and be part of this, uh, I guess we'll call it elite group.
1: So, uh, I, I would say having the opportunity to be around other people uh, in the early development of my professional career, who were engaged in uh, leadership, uh, interested in technology, interested in all of the different aspects that agriculture has to offer, and. Uh, trying to uh trying to make kind of a foundation there for me to okay here's the bar where can we push it forward how can we learn more and uh that you know that kind of gave me the the opportunity to see some of these things and try and strive for the best and continue to push that forward and use technology too where you can and um you know really just be a good communicator and a part of a team so
2: Well, Petey, thank you again so much for coming on and chatting with us today. Definitely some great stuff, not only learning about you, but of course, learning a little bit more about seeds and breeding as well. But thanks again, and congratulations for being part of the 30 Under 30
1: cohort. Thank you. Thank you.
2: Thanks again there to Petey for coming on and chatting with us. It was certainly interesting to hear not only about how he got involved in agriculture, but to hear more about plant breeding and seeds. I think it's definitely an interesting part of agriculture and one that we can always explore, but we will be exploring some other facets of the agriculture industry here on the Ag News Daily podcast, which you can listen to at agnewsdaily.com and be sure to follow along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Ag News Daily as well. And with that, I'm going to let the people go.